So we are in part six of uh, the series that we've been in called Who Needs God? And this is the last part of the series. And so, um, you know, if this is your first time with us or tuning in online or maybe the first time in, in a few weeks, you, you may be in the middle of this, series, this message today going, what the heck is going on? Um, it's like coming in at the end of a movie and the credits are rolling and everyone's like, wasn't that great? And you're like, I have no idea. Or wasn't that terrible? And you're like, I have no idea. And so uh, you can check out the rest of this series on our website, hopecommunityonline.org. There are some series we do where every message can kind of stand on its own and you can jump in wherever. And then there are series where it's like they're all part of a whole. And this is one of those series. So you're, you're coming in at the culmination of a conversation we've been having for the past six weeks. And we've been asking the question, who needs God? Uh, are, are we at a point in society, in human history, where we've, we've figured out enough things? Do we really need God anymore? Do we need faith? Do we need religion? Do we need these things? And for an increasing amount of people, the answer is, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, that for more and more people, more and more people want less and less to do with faith or religion, or at least the uh, uh, faith traditions, the, the traditional faiths that we, we think of. Um, that there's a rise in what's called the nuns. Uh, that, that whenever you take some sort of a survey, a demographic study uh, a survey, or like census information, there's that little drop down, or there's, there's that section that says, what's your religious affiliation? And more and more people are just filling in the bubble or clicking on, well, none. I, I don't identify with any of the, really, the world religions, um, specifically in our context, a migration away from Christianity. And so we've been talking about that and trying to nuance, like, what's, what's behind that? Whenever you walk away from... Uh, like the Christian faith, when you, when you leave your, maybe your religious upbringing, what are you moving towards? And let me say that the goal of this series has not been to convince anyone of anything. Uh, it's not been to convert anyone. It's not been to argue you into submission. And so hopefully it hasn't come off that way. That's not been the intent. And let me also say, if you're part of our church, don't use these messages that way, right? Like, don't send it to someone and be like, here, you need to watch this. <laughs> like, that's not what it's about. Um, we're not trying to argue anybody into anything. The goal is to encourage you to reconsider. If you're someone who has maybe uh, never been a person of faith or you stepped away from faith, maybe to reconsider uh, the claims of Jesus. If you're someone who is a follower of Jesus, a committed Christian, the goal is also to reconsider how you think about faith. Like, how do we process things? How do we, how do we like, navigate this intersection of everyday life and faith and the questions I have and the tensions of life? Uh, what, what answers do we have? It's been about reconsidering because the truth is, is that you can explore faith, you can follow Jesus, you can go on a faith journey, and you can start wherever you are at right now. And you can start taking steps forward. And if you're a person that's got questions and you're not sure about it, you can bring your questions, you can bring your science, you can bring your doubts, you can bring your skepticism, you can bring your, I don't know if I buy all of that or I've had a really bad church experience in the past. You're invited to bring all of that along and to take a step on a faith journey. Everybody has a next step. Um, and as a church, that's, that's kind of why we feel like we exist. Like, we don't want to be here to tell you what to believe or how to think. We don't want to try to convince you of anything. We feel like our role is, is to encourage you to pursue Jesus, and we come alongside and say, how can we help you do that? How can we help you take a next step? And so at any time during the service today, um, or whenever you're watching this, or any time in the future, if you text 330-868-6888, text new, next, or Jesus to that, that number, that's you saying, hey, I, I think I want to take a step in that direction. If you're new with us, you want to know more about the church, more about how you can get involved, you text new. If you're like, I want to take a next step in my faith, maybe I don't know what it is, or I need some encouragement, you text next. And if you're ready to take the specific next step of 
I want to follow Jesus. I want to give him my life. Text Jesus to that number. And like I said, you can do that anytime. There is one particular next step that I want to highlight here this morning before we jump into the message uh, because it's starting this week. Um, and that would be Alpha. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Alpha. Alpha is really an extension of kind of what we've been talking about in this series and the series before this, uh, where you can wrestle with questions and doubts, and uh, we can talk about the intersection of faith, of life, of uh, meaning, purpose. Uh, it's a place where you can, you can say whatever you want uh, as we explore the Christian faith together. So that starts Thursday night. We'll be here at the church. We'll have a meal together. We'll watch a, a short video and then just discussion. And, and seriously, nothing is off the table. You can say whatever you want. So I'd encourage you to sign up for that. You can do that on the website or after the service today or even right now. You can get up, head out to the lobby. The iPad is set up back there and you can sign up there. I encourage you to bring someone with you, to invite some friends, family, coworkers. It's going to be a great time. So as we wrap up our series today, I'm going to ask all of us to do something that's not easy for us to do. And so if you're a person who has maybe stepped away from faith or you're uh, thinking about it or maybe, you know, you're a follower of Jesus, but there's just certain parts that you're like, I don't know if I can, if I can fully embrace this part of faith. No matter where you're at on that spectrum, I want to ask all of us to do something as it relates to this question of who needs God. I want to ask all of us to do something that is hard for us to do, and that is to be honest with ourselves. To be honest with ourselves. One of the hardest people to be honest with is ourselves. I, I know that's true for me because I know when I get really honest with myself, usually that means I have homework I need to do. When I get honest with myself, it means I got to do something I don't want to do. I got to have a conversation I don't want to have. I need to go apologize to somebody. I need to admit that I was wrong. I've got something I need to work on. Uh, and so we, we so often resist being honest with ourselves, but self-deception always leads to, to bad decisions. It always leads in a bad direction. Self-deception always leads in a bad direction. And so many of us have stories that we can share about that. Like, I know I have stories in my life that I could be like, yep, if I'd just been honest with myself, I would have spared myself a lot of pain. Some of you have stories like that, that it was directly related to you or something that happened to you. It's like, man, my childhood, my life would have turned out so different if my mom had been honest with herself, if my dad had been honest with himself, or, or I, would have, I would have saved some friendships or relationships, maybe a marriage. I would have saved a, uh, some hurt with my kids if I had just been honest with, with our, myself. And so uh, I, I want us to be honest with ourselves this morning as we wrap up this series and, and, and talk about this idea of do we need God or not? Are we going to lean into Jesus or not? And to get us moving in that direction, I want to share a couple of quotes. Uh, the first one is from a guy named Thomas Nagel. Thomas Nagel is a professor of philosophy and law at New York University. Well-spoken, well-written, he's written several books, and uh, he is an atheist. In one of his books, The Last Word, he has this extraordinarily honest statement, which, which points to the idea that I want us to talk about today. Um, and I think his statement is, is kind of liberating, and I think it gives us permission to be honest with ourselves as well as we think about a journey towards God. And so here's what he says. He says, I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally, I hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That is an incredibly honest statement for him to say, you know, it's not just that, that, my, that, that, that I don't believe it and so I hope my beliefs are right. It's that I don't even want it to be true. I don't ever want to come to a place where the evidence says, oh no, I might be wrong. Uh, there's this, this tension that maybe you've never given yourself permission to think like that. 
of defining kind of that difference of do I not believe this or do I just not want to believe this? Because whenever we, we, we look at that tension, we realize I open up the door to something that I might not be able to close again. There's a huge difference between I don't want to believe and I don't actually believe. See, I don't believe or I don't want to embrace this or there's, there's something about my faith that I can't reconcile. I don't believe it is, is a matter of logic or reason or facts. I don't want to believe it is a matter of desire. It's a matter of will. It's a matter of, of convenience and preference. And so maybe just let me, let me push this a little bit and ask if, if you've maybe stepped away from faith or if you're having a hard time like reconciling something about your faith right now and you're like, I don't know if I can buy that. Is that around something that happened? Something that you saw? Was it around evidence? Was it something you learned, something you read, something you heard? Or, or as we talked about at the beginning of the series, was it because you had some legitimate questions that were like fact-based, reality-based questions and you got kind of churchy, faith-based answers of, well, you just got to believe. You just got to, you know, like don't ask questions, just believe. Like is your struggle with faith around that or... Is it around, like, is my lack of belief or my struggle to embrace certain parts of Christianity, is it around the idea that I didn't want it to be true, that it's inconvenient, that it's uncomfortable? Because often what we'll do, we'll say, I don't believe that, but really it's I don't want to believe that, but I know that, you know, something being inconvenient or hard is not really a good reason to stop doing it. And so I'm like, well, let me put some reasons and some logic around this. Is it I don't believe it or I don't want to? Um, as I was preparing for this message this week, I actually... I came across this tweet, actually it was, it was an Instagram, it was a screenshot of a tweet that was shared on Instagram by uh, um, a profile I follow called the And Campaign, um, great organization, they, they kind of, uh, they, they talk about like civic engagement um, in, in like politics and those kind of things from a Christian perspective, from a non-partisan Christian perspective, so a uh, very good organization. But anyway, they, they, they shared uh, this, this tweet, this screenshot, and I thought it just tied in so perfectly to what we're talking about. It, it, it says this. It says, does Christianity work for me is the wrong question. Gravity exists whether you think it works for you or not. The real question is, did Jesus come out of that tomb? You know, we talk about that over and over again. That, hey, the whole Christian faith is, is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Like, that's the whole thing. Did Jesus come out of that tomb? Because if he did, reality always works better than whatever unreality we try to console ourselves with. Is it a matter of, I don't believe it, or is it a matter of, I don't want to? You see, because if, you, if you're open to the idea of God existing, if you're open to the idea of like, okay, I, I think like this Jesus person, I'll give him a shot. I'm willing to, to figure that out. I'm willing to ask questions wherever it leads me. I'm willing to press in. Then you can, you can look for answers. You can have resources. You can read books and listen to lectures and find articles. There are plenty of places you can explore. But if your struggle with faith or, or your, your, your departure from faith was around the idea of will or want or desire, then no amount of information you receive will ever make a difference. This is true in every area of life, by the way. That whether, whether it's our, our religious views, our worldviews, our politics, whether it's even something like preferences, like which restaurants we you know, prefer, like it, it, we, we have to come to a place where we gotta realize so much of what we think is actually around our will and want and desire and not necessarily as much about facts or logic. That You can be presented with all the facts and logic in the world and still go, nah, I don't believe it because I don't want it to be true. This is like running rampant in our culture right now. 
This is why our arguments, you know, we take this posture, we take this position, arguments just bounce off you. Because somebody's like, well, don't you see the facts? Don't you see the information? Don't you see the logic? And we're just like, nope, nope, nope. I, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to see that. It's so important for us to, to recognize this, like this human trait. Like, we have to recognize that in other people, that every single person that you come, come across, like, it's going to be this kind of position of, I mean, you can't usually argue your way into something. Because it's not about, do I want to believe? It's, it is about do I want to believe, not do I actually believe. i got to recognize that in other people. I need to recognize that in myself because once we do that, we can actually have a lot more civil conversations. It's true of faith. It's true of all kinds of things. Um, Blaise Pascal was a 17th century mathematician, philosopher, and physicist. He, was, he died at like 39 but made all these incredible discoveries and th- things. He was literally a child prodigy. And Blaise Pascal said this. He says, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And that's so true, right? We, we arrive on, at our beliefs usually by what we find attractive, not as far as what is actually true. Human beings don't tend to be on a truth quest. We're on like a happiness quest. Most of us don't go around going, I just want to know the truth. I want to find the truth. And whatever the truth is, I'm going to plant my flag there. No, we go around saying, I want happiness. I want fulfillment. I want joy. I want purpose. And wherever I find that, that's where I'll plant my flag. And so, man, we'll, we, we develop worldviews and values based on what makes me happy or makes me fulfilled, and then I'll change those as need be throughout my life. Now, sometimes, sometimes we'll find the intersection of uh, what makes us happy and also what happens to be true. Like, I believe that's where the, the way of Jesus lies. As a follower of Jesus, I, I think absolutely the Jesus way leads to the good life, that there's joy, there's happiness, there's fulfillment, there's purpose, and it happens to be true. But our natural default is actually just to go looking first for what I want or what makes me happy. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, we love the truth when it enlightens us. We hate the truth when it convicts us. We love the truth whenever it's something that we're, we're, all, we're on board with when it enlightens us. We're like, yes, well, about the truth and you need to know the truth and the truth will set you free. But then when it convicts us, we're a lot quieter. And we, we all kind of instinctively know this. I mean, you can think back to whenever... Maybe whenever you were a kid, um, if you argued with your parents as a kid, if that ever happened, which is probably all of us, unless you're really, really weird, but you can think back to arguing with your parents as a kid. When you were in an argument, were you on a truth quest? Were you like, Mom, Dad, I'm just trying to get to the truth of the matter, and once we find the truth, I'll be happy. No, we weren't on a truth quest. We were trying to get what we wanted. I mean, we, we even do this as adults, if you've ever argued with someone, especially if you are married and never been in an argument with your spouse. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and like midway through the argument, you realize, oh no, they're right. Like I'm actually wrong. And then you kept arguing anyway. And it's like, no, I'm just not going to let that go because it had nothing to do with figuring out the truth. It had everything to do with, I've decided this is what I want. This is what I I want. This is so important to realize that when we won't admit what we suspect to be true, when we won't look at something for fear of what we might see, that's revealing something in us. That's revealing something within us. It's like, I, I don't, I don't what, what is that? There's this, this human thing that we want to resist that. And so as we wrap up this series, as we talk about this concept for you know, who needs God, is it that I don't believe or that I don't want to believe? Am I, is my resistance to embracing Jesus, either as someone who's skeptical and outside of faith or even as someone within the Christian faith, is my resistance to embracing the way of Jesus, is it because I don't believe at all or because I don't want to? 
And so at the risk of maybe getting on your nerves or offending you or stepping on some toes or ruining the series on the very last week, I want to press into that a little bit. Is the reason that we're struggling with faith a matter of I don't believe it or I don't want to? And could it possibly be our resistance to fully embracing Jesus? Could it be one of one of these things, that, that if, if this is all true and I fully embrace it and I give my life to it, then if God, I'm guilty? Like if I were really to, like, okay, I'm all in on this Jesus thing, then, then there are some things in my past that are hard, that are really, really big and really, really glaring and kind of embarrassing and and there, there's, some, there's some, some destruction and some carnage that I caused in my past and I've, I've worked really, really hard to kind of like, push those things down and not think about them a whole lot. Man, if I, if I fully commit myself to Jesus, that's going to really come to the surface and I'm going to have to address that and I'm going to feel shame and I, I don't want to go there. Maybe, maybe you've done, as so many of us do, is we kind of write those things off with like the, the cultural label, which is, well, you know, I've made some mistakes in my life. We've all made mistakes. When I was younger, you know, I made some mistakes. But maybe it's if, if I really allow myself to, to say, okay, I'm in on this Jesus thing, all of a sudden it goes from being a mistake to something bigger. It, it goes to the thing, the way that Jesus talked about it, the way the authors of scripture talk about it, and it goes from being a mistake to, ooh, maybe it's actually sin. It's, the funny thing about a mistake is a mistake implies, it implies ignorance. It implies a lack of information. I didn't have all the information, and so I made a mistake, and, and if I had all the information, I could, I could, I could fix it. But what do you call a mistake where you had all the information and we did it on purpose? Like I had all the information. I planned for this mistake. I scheduled this mistake. I was looking forward to this mistake. And it's like, man, if I, if I let myself go there, if I fully embrace Jesus, then my mistakes become such, something bigger. If, if God, I'm guilty. Or maybe it's if, if God, if I allow myself to go there, if God, then I'm accountable I'm accountable to something other than myself. And again, accountability is one of those things. It's like, I don't like that so much. I want other people to be accountable, but I don't want me to be accountable. We all want to live in this space where it's like, you know, nobody tells me what to do. I'm the captain of my own ship. You know, I blaze my own trail. I do my own thing. I am the ultimate authority in my life. There's nobody above me. And this, this, this human instinct to not want to be accountable or to, to, to make our own way, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the creation narrative, and, and the fall of humanity. And regardless of how you read that, there is such truth in that narrative that, that, that at its core, the fall of humanity was the story of mankind saying, who needs God? Not us. We will do what we want to do. We know best. It's this illusion of autonomy. This illusion that if, if I can make my own way, if, if I don't have to answer to anybody, if I can make my own decisions, I will do what's best, and I will do what's best for me. And again, our own experience tells us that's just really not true. That, that whenever I'm not accountable to anybody, unaccountable people make regrettable decisions. I can tell you, I know in my life, the worst decisions, like my biggest regrets, you know who had the final say in all of them? I did. And if, if there was somebody else who could have come along and said, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do that, I would have spared myself a lot of pain. And I would probably imagine for most of us, that's a story that we could tell. That when I, am un, when I am not accountable to anyone or anything, I do some really, really stupid things. And so maybe it's this, well, if, if I admit, okay, God, and I'm going to press into the Jesus thing, and I'm going to embrace that, and I'm going to follow him with my whole life, then if I admit to him, then I have to, I have to submit to him. And I don't know if I like that idea. 
Maybe our resistance is around the idea of, well, if God, then I'm just wrong. I'm wrong, and I don't want to admit that I'm, I'm wrong about God. I'm wrong about the way I saw things. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong about a whole lot of things, and it comes back to this, this pride thing. Like I said at the beginning of being honest with ourselves or something about me, it's pride in me that says, I don't want to admit when I'm wrong, which is such a weird thing because in ourselves, the opposite of pride is humility. In ourselves, we don't oftentimes want to embrace humility, but we know in other people, it's such a virtue. When we, in other people, we celebrate it. Like we know that, that, that humility, it actually makes us bigger, it makes us wiser, it makes us smarter, that, that admitting I'm wrong is actually the most direct route to finding out what's right into improving, but there's something in us that's like, I don't know if I want to admit that. So, you know, maybe it's, it's I, I don't know if I can fully embrace Jesus. I don't know if I can fully follow him. I, I don't know if I can leave my skepticism behind. I don't know if I can take that next step towards my faith because that might mean admitting that I'm guilty or I'm accountable or I'm wrong and I'd rather not deal with that. So let me just keep God at a distance for a while. It's not that I don't believe, it's that I don't want to believe. Well, here, here's the good news. This is actually the best news, that if you fully embrace Jesus, yes, you're going to embrace the fact that you're guilty, you're accountable, and you're wrong, but that's not all that you'll be embracing. You'll be embracing some other things as well that are even better. See, when, when we acknowledge that the issue is our resistance, not God's existence. That the issue is, it's my resistance, it's me saying, I don't want to believe it, I don't want to believe it, I don't want to believe it. We actually find ourselves in the middle of an epic narrative of God's loving pursuit of a rebellious humanity. When we, when we get to this place where we're like, okay, I, I, it's, it's not a matter of I don't believe it, it's a matter of will and want and desire, I don't want to go there. When, even when we can admit that, that, that is a baby step. It is a baby step that, that puts you into the stream of humanity that has been struggling with submission to God from the very beginning of time, and that is exactly where we need to be. When we find ourselves in that stream of humanity that's just wrestling with God, saying, I don't know if I want to believe it. I don't know if I want to submit to you. I don't know if I want to do what you say is, is best. We are exactly where we need to be because that is where we find Jesus. And if Jesus was right, and there's overwhelming evidence to suggest that he was, then there are some other things that are true as well. Some things like, well, if God, there's forgiveness. That yes, I'm guilty, but what's greater than my guilt is the forgiveness that Jesus offers me. That, that, that my sin and my rebellion and my mistakes actually then become the platform to demonstrate God's love. They become the very things in my life that allow me to know that, oh my gosh, God is crazy about me and he loves me. That, that I see how broken and jacked up and messed up and how much pain I've caused in myself and in other people and I see God's love demonstrated in my life. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 5.8. He says, but God demonstrates his love for us. He doesn't just tell us, oh, hey, you guys, I love you. I hope you know I love you. I hope you'll read about it in this book that I love you. But he, he actually, he put actions to it. That he stepped onto the planet, the person of Jesus. That while God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, not just mistakers, while we were still like, I did it on purpose. I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. I knew it would hurt them. I did it anyway. I knew it would hurt me. I did it anyway. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That our guilt, our sin, our shame, 
becomes the platform for God to show off his love, his grace, his forgiveness in our lives. He demonstrates his love by sending Jesus to die for us. This is so important because sometimes people ask, well, why couldn't God just forgive? Why couldn't he just be like, no, you're good. Like, why did Jesus have to die? Because the reason that God came to earth in the person of Jesus was to establish and enter into relationship with humanity. And every relationship requires sacrifice. If you are in a relationship where two parties are not sacrificing, you're not really in a relationship. Relationships require sacrifice. And the, the, the incredible nature, the, the intimacy that God desires, the kind of relationship that he desires with each one of us required the greatest sacrifice. So God demonstrated his love for us. That an, an offense requires forgiveness and restitution, and through Jesus, God demonstrated both forgiveness and restitution, that there is relationship. If God, there's forgiveness, then if God, there is also relationship. You know, we resist the, the part of if God, there's accountability, but that also means there's relationship because to resist accountability to someone is to resist a relationship with them. Like, yeah, we're accountable, but that means we're in relationship with God. And again, if you're a parent, we understand this, that there's an accountability that is associated with a, the parent-child relationship. Our kids are accountable to us. And whenever uh, th that accountability is broken, that, that rebellion, that, that breaks the relationship. The relationship is damaged, and God says, I forgive you, and I want relationship with you. For God, there's relationship. And finally, if God, there's truth. And a lot of times I discover that I'm wrong, but there's something that I can point to that's right. That there's a basis for, for what is good. There's a basis for human dignity. There's a basis for how people should be treated. There's a basis for, for justice. There's a basis for the scent of ought in us. There's a basis for human rights, for us to look across time, across cultures, and say there is a certain way that human beings should be treated. It's actually pretty amazing. There are, are some like secular, atheistic type people who will actually say, you know, when we, if we remove God from the equation, we really don't have a basis for human rights because there's nothing to say why do people have dignity. With God, then there's truth. There's truth to the fact that humans have dignity because they're created in the image of God. So yeah, if God, man, there's, there's some guilt and there's some accountability and there's, man, there, there, there's the fact that I'm wrong, but more than that, there's forgiveness, there's relationship, and there's truth. And so as we kind of wrap the series up, if the question had been, who wants God? The answer is sometimes none of us do. Like, as your pastor, there are times where I'm like, I don't really want God, okay? Like, I don't, I don't want to do the Jesus thing right now. I know what I should do. I don't really want to do that. I don't, I don't want to have to, you know, do what would Jesus do? I don't care right now, okay? Like, there are times when I don't want that. If the question is who wants God, sometimes none of us. But if the question is who needs God, then that answer is all of us. We all need that. We all need forgiveness, relationship, truth. Now, you may not know this, maybe you do, but um, Jesus had some brothers and sisters, uh, half-brothers and sisters, same, same mom, Mary, different dad. Jesus had the God's my dad thing going on. Do you ever wonder if he, like, pulled that card as a kid, you know, with his siblings, like, hey, God's my dad. I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know, but, it, but, okay, so he's got some brothers and sisters, and his brothers and sisters, they don't believe in him, like, in the Gospels, they're not like, oh, hey, we think Jesus is the Messiah, and we're following him, his family actually thinks he's a little bit crazy, 
Um, and, and one of his brothers in particular, James, later though, becomes a follower of Jesus. That James comes to a place in his life where he submits to his older brother as his Lord, as his Messiah, as the one that was promised to come. Now, like, that is crazy to think about. The only thing that would change James's mind was the resurrection of his brother. It's like, bro, I don't care how many miracles you do or how cool your teaching is, you are not the Messiah, the Son of God. You're just not. And then he saw him crucified and alive again. He was like, oh, shoot, I was wrong. And James becomes such a committed follower of Jesus that He becomes a leader in the early church, and he actually dies for his faith in his brother. In AD 62, and this is according to, this is not according to the Bible, to the New Testament, this is an outside source, this is the Jewish historian Josephus, records that in AD 62, the Jewish high priest Ananus used the Sanhedrin to condemn James to death by stoning. And James, the brother of Jesus, died for what he saw and what he taught, that his brother was the risen Lord. Before he died, though, he wrote a letter to some first century Christians, some followers of Jesus who were trying to figure this whole faith thing out and like, what does it look like to follow Jesus and how do we do this and, uh, and how, do we, how do we, you know, stop resisting God and fully embrace the way of Jesus and give our lives to that. And so James pens this letter and it's so valued in, in, in the first century church. I mean, imagine having a brother from, or a letter from the brother of Jesus. And so they meticulously made copies of it and circulated around all these different churches. Eventually it was gathered together into what we now call the New Testament. And he says something that I think lands the plane for our conversation. It lands the plane on this, like, okay, do I not want to believe it or do I want to believe it? And if I do, if I am open to believing it, like, how, how do I lean into that? And James gives us that answer. He says this in James chapter 4, verse, starting verse 8. He says, come near to God, and God will come near to you. And it's like, can it, can it really be that simple? And the answer is yes. It's that simple. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. James is saying, look, if, if, you, if you want to take a step in that direction, if you want to embrace the way of Jesus, if you want your life to be about this, here's all you have to do. Take a step towards God. Move in his direction, and he will move in yours. Come near or draw near to God, and he will come near to you. And then he begins to give us some instruction on how to do that. Put some language around it, some words around it. And I, I can't help but think that maybe the words that James says are a reflection of his own journey, of his doubt in his brother and his life before believing in his brother and and he, he says this, you want to come near to God and he'll come near to you. Here's how you do it. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. That's kind of some religious language. He's saying, look, like you, you fess up. Like come clean with the fact that I'm, I've, I've done more than just made mistakes. I've done more in my life than just like, whoops, it was an accident. Like man, 95% of the stuff I've done that was wrong wasn't an accident. He says, come clean with that. Wash your hands, you sinners. Confess that to God. And then purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, quit playing games. Stop sitting on the fence. Don't don't do the, well, a little bit of Jesus today and not not so much tomorrow. And I think I'll believe these parts and not those parts. No, no, like no more sitting on the fence. Make up your mind. Don't be double-minded. Be honest with yourself. And then he gives us the one that's probably the toughest of all because it it summarizes the rest. Humble yourselves before the Lord. God, I was wrong. 
Okay, just like as, as fast as you can get. I, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Jesus, I've been wrong about you. I've been wrong about who I thought you were. I've been, been wrong about the way I've treated other people. I've been wrong about the way I've lived my life. Like, like there is so, on a daily basis, I'm just, I'm just wrong. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, and humble yourself before the Lord. And then he lets us know what God's response will be. And this is God's response all the time. If you want to come near to God, if you confess your sin, you stop kind of playing those games, you humble yourself. He's like, this is, this is how God responds regardless of who you are, regardless of where you're at on the faith journey, regardless of what you've done or how long you've been away from faith or how long you've resisted or how many doubts you have. He says, here's what will happen, that he, God, will lift you up. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. You, you, you know, you, you get honest with yourself and humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up out of your shame, out of your pain, out, out of your guilt, out of your regret. And he'll say, I'm, I'm bringing you to myself. So come near to God, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. As we kind of close out our service today, we are going to, um, we're going to take communion together. And uh, I want to invite this to be a time for, for us as a church to draw near to God. That as we, uh, we come to communion and we, we, we take a little piece of bread that represents Jesus' body that was, was broken for us. We take a little cup of juice that represents his blood that he freely poured out for us on the cross. And we reflect on, on his life, his death, his resurrection, that his death on the cross is what makes it possible for us to draw near to God. It's what makes that, that forgiveness and that relationship possible. And so we, we, we reflect on that, yes, but we also, we celebrate. And we look forward to a time that we get to be with him again physically. We rest in the fact that as we draw near to God, he draws near to us, that he is with us in this moment. He is with us as we sit here, as we, as we receive communion together. And so after I pray, I'm gonna invite you to, to come on up and to, um, and you can take communion. Maybe if you'll make your way up the right side of the room and kind of flow around to the left to keep the traffic going. But I don't, I don't know where you're at, you know, in your faith and what, what does it look like for you to draw near to God? I mean, I, I just want to kind of give three different large categories of people who are here. And maybe for you, it's, it's a first time drawing near to God. It's like, okay, I'm done resisting. I want to embrace Jesus. I want to give my life to him. This is an opportunity for you to do that. If you're someone that's like, you know, I, I'm a Christian and then I made that, I was really committed at one point, but I've kind of wandered away. I want this to be an opportunity for you to, to re-engage, to recommit. If you're someone, you're like, no, I'm, I'm actually good. I'm following Jesus. He's part of my day-to-day -day life. Then let this be a reminder that we continually need to draw near to him. We continually need to seek his forgiveness. We continually need to humble ourselves before the Lord. We rest in the fact that he us up. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for the incredible truth that you sent your son Jesus to the earth. 2,000 years ago, you, you walked this earth, you, you stepped into our brokenness, you lived a perfect and sinless life. You gave your life on the cross. You were in the, the grave for three days, but the grave could not hold you. You rose victorious, defeating sin and death. We praise you for that. And God, we, we confess that we have sinned, that we fallen short, that we've done more than just make some mistakes. 
we've broken people, we've broken ourselves, we've sinned against you. So God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for, for Jesus' death on the cross that atones for our sin. God, we ask that you would forgive us. Lord, we ask that you would please come fill us with your spirit. That you would, that you would fill us daily with yourself, that we may draw, as we draw near to you, that we rest in the fact that you are drawing near to us, that you are lifting us up. God, give us faith to know that and to live from that posture. In Jesus' name.